You're listening to the Wellness Warrior Podcast. This podcast is for those of you who want to improve your mindset, radically transform your health, and get back more time to pursue what matters most to you. So listen up, this podcast is pretty new, it's just getting started, but here's what I've got on the plate for the coming months. I want to interview some of the most successful individuals, professionals, doctors, and even just normal everyday people who are sharing the message of hope, health, and wholeness. They're going to be integrating their own holistic health principles in their own life, which means we're going to be talking about organic food, essential oil, sustainability, regenerative farming, clean food, plant medicines, all of this great stuff. And on top of that, I'm going to be sharing health tips, personal growth tips, workout tips, motivation, inspiration, and how to do all this in college nonetheless. So you're going to walk away with actionable steps that are going to help you solve your problems. So if any of this sounds interesting to you, you're going to want to listen to this podcast right now. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to the Wellness Warrior podcast, everyone. I'm here with Benji Balmer for part two of Who Grew Your Food? So Benji, thank you for coming on again. Sure. So let's just keep the conversation going. Uh, We went a lot of directions the first time, but I really want to talk a lot more about Yellowbird today. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, I'm really interested in what your day-to-day looks like. So most of the people buying from Yellowbird probably just see like the final result, the Mm -hmm. produce boxes that we all pick up, or the stuff like from here from the warehouse. But I'm just curious, what's the process like behind the scenes, like when you're finding new producers or kind of negotiating and creating partnerships with farms? doing the deliveries, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So could you just walk us through kind of an sure. average day? Sure. I mean, the typical week looks like this. Monday, uh, we come in and um, we send out, you know, well, let me back up. Saturday night at midnight, we close off our sales for the week. So you're, our customers have to order their food that they're going to get this week, last week, essentially. So we close off the sales at Saturday at midnight. That means on Sunday, we have the reports we need to know what we need to order in terms of boxes, but also in terms of the store. Um, So carrying, you know, a thousand SKUs of product, you know, maybe in any given week, 400 of those products have been ordered. Um, We've got then to know, do we have them? But even if we have them, um, because it's all perishable, we need to make sure that everything is not close dated or expired because it's, you know, when you're dealing with real food, very few preservatives, uh, if any, it's always on the clock. Mm -hmm. So uh, Monday we come in and all the purchase orders go out. So John uh, Marsh is our um, kind of like liaison between farm producer and Yellowbird. He'll come in, he'll make a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, he'll put together purchase orders. And that way the growers and producers know what what they need to either harvest or have ready for us to pick up come Tuesday. Now, Tuesday, uh, we send out usually four vehicles. If you want to think of it in terms of one to every corner of the state, Cleveland, Northwest Ohio, Cincinnati, and, you know, we don't really go down to to southeast so much because there's not much down there, but we definitely go south of Columbus in that direction. Um, and so we send everybody out, we pick up everything that, we're, that we need for that week, uh, and then we bring it back. And so today, which is Tuesday as this interview is being done, 
by 4, 5, 6 p.m., ideally, all the food's back in house. That's all the food that's going to go in the boxes for the week, and that's all the food that's going to go in the store orders for the week. So we're talking milk that we picked up today that was bottled yesterday. We're talking uh, produce that we're going to put in boxes tomorrow and Thursday that was picked yesterday and today. Now, the challenge to all that is... Well, as you can even just hear the challenge, like how crazy that must be each beginning of the week. But what people don't realize is, is this isn't the way the traditional food system operates. Traditionally, if you're a, if you're a produce wholesaler, you are buying your produce from uh, somewhere west of the Mississippi and it's being delivered to you. You're not going anywhere for it. All you're doing is delivering. So what we realized very early on was that part of the brokenness of the system is, is that the growers and producers, they don't all have distribution methods. They don't have vehicles to take stuff out in. They don't have refrigeration to keep their product in perfect condition in. So because of that, that's a, that's a barrier to entry as a grower. You know, if I have nowhere to keep the product that I'm harvesting, uh, for upwards of 24 hours, 48 hours maybe, um, I'm going to lose that product unless somebody comes and gets it. So we've got to logistically, and you think about the, the cost of fuel, the cost of labor, the cost of, I mean, there's not a year that goes by that we don't have, you know, $40,000 of truck repairs because we're not driving new trucks around. And so, you know, you've got to factor, and so there's a reason that nobody goes and gets all the food. Uh, it's cost prohibitive. And so um, that's the first part of the week. The second part of the week, starting tomorrow morning, is all the food goes out on our line to pack the boxes. We know who's getting what and where it's going. And we begin early Wednesday morning with everybody in the house. Every driver's here and every packer's here. And as the day goes on, within... 40 minutes of starting to pack boxes, the first driver's order for home deliveries is ready to go. So we peel him off. We load his van up, he takes off and is gone. Well, over the next four hours, we do that uh, for each of the drivers that are gonna go out on Wednesday. So by lunchtime on Wednesday, four people are gone and, and four vehicles are gone and that amount of food is gone. So everything by lunchtime Wednesday kind of gets into this groove of like, okay, now ahead of us is just packing all the food for the next 48 to 72 hours of deliveries. And so, and that doesn't all get done on Wednesday. It carries into Thursday and into Friday. But we, we stand at a, at a midpoint in our coolers where we're marrying together the store orders with the box order to go out to any given person you know, that might be getting a home delivery or picking it up from our truck. You know, our, we run a truck route. So on Thursdays and Fridays, we go into Columbus with a truck and we have four different parking lots we stop at each day. Same parking lot, same time, every Thursday and every Friday. If you think about it, when that driver leaves on Thursday morning, all the food for that day for every one of those parking lots is on that truck. So that truck goes out and if you're, if you pick up at the first parking lot or the fourth parking lot, we don't care. You can join us anywhere along the journey. If you, if you're, if you live right next to us, uh, you know, maybe to Hills downtown, which is one of the first stops of the day, but you don't get to us cause you forget or whatever. 
it doesn't mean that you've lost out. You just find us at the next parking lot that day. Then when that all comes back here to the warehouse for Thursday, that gets put on a pallet and set aside. And then the Friday truck goes out the next day. All of it ultimately landing at Swainway Urban Farm in, in Clintonville on Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. That is our catch-all. If you haven't caught us before then, you can come and catch us there. Now, there's 100-plus people that just choose that as their pickup. I, I want to come there to get my food. But it's our, it's our catch-all. So you can, at that point, go get your box and your order at Swainway on Saturday from 10 to 1. Now, if you miss it there, ultimately that box of food gets donated. So we've got then, to circle all the way back to Monday, we've got a Monday pickup at 11 a.m., two different um, food uh, distribution. Um, one of them is called Inner Church, and then one of them is called um, Hope House down in Bladensburg. They basically are um, distribution networks to all of the food pantries, but the problem with a food pantry a lot of times is they can't get good high quality nutrient dense food they're getting um juicy juice or something that just gets you know passed aside that they get their hands on that they distribute to people but it's not necessarily the best thing for people to eat or drink so we then send all that donated stuff out to those locations actually they come here to get it so but it's going out with them and so um that closes the loop of the week and then we start it all over again um it's an ongoing uh, uh i call it a logistical nightmare there's a reason Sounds that like nobody's it. doing this and um uh, unfortunately to the best that i can see it's the only way to do it sustainable to the small grower which if you think about what it must be like as a grower to have to sell your own food, i.e. farmer's market, a route to restaurants, whatever that might be. You're now factoring in what would be an 80 to 100 hour a week job just to grow food. And then you've got to carve out, and nobody has any money to do this. It's not like you can be like, well, I'm gonna hire somebody to drive, I'm gonna buy a truck and I'm gonna hire somebody to drive a route for me. Mm -hmm. There's no way you could do that. There's just, there just is not enough money in it. And so, um, that is where we've tried to step into that gap and say, do everything that you can do. Go to farmer's markets if you want to. Some do, some don't. Have your own direct CSA if you want to. Some do, some don't. Go to restaurants and sell to restaurants if you can. Because at each of those places, you're getting full retail value. Now, I'm not giving you wholesale value in the sense that the traditional conventional food systems giving you wholesale, which would be like pennies on the dollar. I'm going to give you a nickel for every head of lettuce you can grow. We're doing way better than that for the growers, but we're also, we've got to get retail out of it. And so in doing that, we found this wonderful, it feels like from the feedback of the growers and producers, medium place where, okay, you're going direct in many places and getting full retail value for that product at those places what you're what you then can diversify into is grow as much as you want for us and this is what we'll decide together to that price will be and when you blend the two maybe you're doing you know fifty thousand dollars a year at at fifty percent profit margin and you're doing another fifty thousand dollars a year with us at thirty percent profit margin well your blend then hopefully is somewhere around 40 and you might be able to make a living off of that 
And that's the goal is can we get these growers and producers that are doing things the right way or what we consider to be a better way, um, can we get them profitable to the point where my kids would look at the industry and say, I can grow food and make a living where I don't think my generation could do that. Most of my generation that's growing food and I'm 40 is growing food and also a fireman or woman is also a marketing coordinator for a big company is also a construction worker or doing some other thing. And so you're like, okay, well now you take in a full-time job of growing food and factored in that you have to have a way to get it to places and spend the time doing that. And you've got to work off the farm. Mm -hmm. There's no way you'll, you'll either kill yourself doing it. There's no, there's no um, quality of life there or you'll hate it in two years. And you, you know, you'll be the story of, yeah, I used to grow a ton of food too, you know, when you're 20 years away from it. And it's like, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't make any money. I had to go do this other thing. And you know, it, that's how life is. That's the, the path that it's taken you on. But yeah, if, if we could, if we could give the, the, the grower producer the amount of money that, uh, it's really worth, there'd be a living in it. But the question is, can we convince the consumer that that's what it's worth? Because we've been conditioned to think that food should be cheap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it's unbelievable. Anyways, yeah, I've, I've covered a couple of different things there, but <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you for giving us those insights, and that was really good to hear. Um, so, kind of shifting gears mm -hmm. just a little bit, a radical jump. So, my audience, like I mentioned last time, mostly young adults, college students, yep. who are either trying to like radically shift their health and they don't know where to start, or they're well on their way and they're just trying to keep leveling up mm -hmm. their lives and health. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think my favorite four words put together in a sentence can really help them, and that's your tagline, who grew your food? Yeah. Because um, it's really so clever and meaningful. So, can you just talk about why it's important to know who actually grows your food and kind of the effects that those choices can make on your health and beyond your health too, like the planet? Yes. Yeah, that was really what it boiled down to for us was uh, if people were asking that question, you, you're, the answers that you're going to arrive at are what we need you to arrive at. And so the idea that um, you're wondering where your food came from is all I really need for you to wonder. Because if, if you're wondering that, then you're going to find out and you're going to, one, probably be dissatisfied uh, at first but that will lead you to uh, a decision that will ultimately leave not only you satisfied, but all of the other uh, layers that need to be satisfied. So we've been conditioned to think that, I always use the Costco um, rotisserie chicken as my example. Um, you know, that I've heard, and I don't go into Costco, but you know, you could use Walmart or Kroger or anybody. I've seen them for $5, yep. um, but I've heard that at times at Costco, you can get them for a dollar. Now that may just be, you know, hearsay, but let's just say $5. Well, I know what it costs to, if, if you're going to grow that bird, first of all, it, that chickens are, are designed to eat grass and bugs. So, uh, 
In order to do that and to keep chickens on grass and bugs, it requires you to move them because they'll they'll scratch through whatever they're at. So, you know, our chickens by Sweetgrass Dairy and other great people I know, uh, Kobe Rise uh, is a grower that we don't currently buy from, but they do wonderful birds. Um, uh, Copia, uh, who does eggs as well. You know, this is like a mobile pastured process of we are going to move these chickens to fresh grass consistently that could be once a day it could be once every two days but they're going to be on fresh ground with fresh bugs and fresh greens and and ideally no um uh, of none of the bad stuff so the stuff that that would be harmful like um uh, bacteria or things that would accumulate if they weren't moved so as they do that, that it, you know, picture a person moving a, a some sort of a, a unit that these chickens are in where they're on fresh grass multiple times a week. There's human labor there. So how much does that? How much time does that take? An hour? What's your what's your what's your hourly rate? Twenty dollars an hour? Thirty? Fifty? I mean, whatever. It still isn't enough. Um, and so you know, you factor that in, and now you're talking about non-GM, now you're talking about feed, because you still feed chickens. So you're looking at non-GMO or organic feed, um, which costs money. Uh, you know, you factor that in per head of chicken. Then you have butchering costs. So you've got to take those chickens on some sort of a vehicle to the butcher, and then the butcher's going to charge that person to, to dress every one of those birds out however they want. So now you're in another however many dollars a pound just to get them to the point where you can now take that product that you have hundreds of hours in, hundreds of dollars in, in feed, and then hundreds of dollars in in processing, and then you've got to sell that to your public, to your buyer. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I can tell you right now, $5 a bird ain't going ain't gonna to do it. Now, what we do know is, is that the way those chickens are raised is in a building. They never see sun. They never see grass. They're fed the lowest of the cheapest of the low food. They are raised as fast as possible, usually with the use of uh, pharmaceuticals to and hormones to grow them to be big-breasted. But also, they're so unhealthy that you've got to give them pharmaceuticals to keep them alive. Or else they'll die before they get to market weight. So... You know, when you're doing it like that and, you're, and you've got 100,000 birds in a space no bigger than the space we're in, they, the equivalent, uh, people have said, um, even if it says cage-free, the space they have is the space of a, a size of a piece of paper to move on, an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. So that's how you grow in a commercial food system. And you can see what happens there. The two descriptions I just gave you, one of them is honoring the life of the animal, the life of the planet, the, your own life as you are what you eat. Or if you eat meat, uh, you are what your animal eats. So, uh, you know, you've got that happening where, you know, and, and I didn't even mention all of the benefits of, of chickens being on soil and what that does to the life of the soil, to the uh, ecological systems that are at play at the farm and all the different things and what chickens do another way a very quick way to say it is when a cow poops in the field that cow uh, plop is the size of a frisbee after a chicken's gone through it and scratched through it and spread it out which that's fertilizer that's natural fertilizer and one eaten all of the larvae in that so that the fly problem is contained that now is the size not of a frisbee but of a trash can lid so the chicken did that. Nothing else would do that. 
um, that would just sit there and not be used to its maximum potential. So, you know, that's a, a very clean example, or very not clean, very easy example of, uh, of, of, of how it plays into the total system. So all of that has to circle back to the question. Because if you're not asking who grew it, you don't, you don't care. I want a $5 chicken because I'm, con I'm conditioned to think that I can go get a $5 chicken. And so I'm going to go in there and I'm not going to treat that animal as a living being that it ever was. It's a commodity. It's the same way as I want um, the cheapest um, ream of paper when I go into Staples. What's the deal this week, Staples worker? Well, what am I really saying? How cheap can you grow trees for me so that I can just print as much as I want? So, you know, you can ask that question anywhere. And to ask who grew your food then takes you all the way back to the conditions and the person. So, you know, in that, there's a great book called The Meat Racket. And in The Meat Racket, it describes Tyson's um, and, and Cargill and all these big meat packers rise to power. And what they do is, is they get these growers, these, these, these uh, uh, farmers to grow chickens the way, the, the bad way I just described. But they don't pay for it. They make the farmer build the infrastructure. So the buildings and the feed and all that kind of stuff. And of course, they sell them the feed and they sell them the antibiotics. You know, they're going to make money all that way as well. But then when they, when they don't want those birds or something happens or there's a, there's a glut in the marketplace or there's whatever, they'll just tell the, the, the farmers flat out, either we're not buying them or we told you we were going to give you a dollar a pound, but really we're, you know, we can only afford 30 cents a pound. Well, that farmer's now beholden to them and that's it. You know, it's not like he's like, well, I'm going to go shop it in the marketplace. I bet I can get more for it. He's contracted with them. And so, you know, now he's, he's toast. I can't tell you how many stories there are of people who have, have lost their livelihood because they've gotten into bed with the wrong group like that. And now they lose it all because then that person doesn't keep their word. That company doesn't whatever. Well, when you're, you know, Jacob Coleman is, is our, uh, our, and Elizabeth is our, um, chicken farmers and you know we commit to i mean in the beginning with when yellowbird started we might have committed to 400 chickens with them in the first year you know 300 whatever like not many because we didn't have many people but as time has gone on as the pandemic hit as the meat shortage became apparent uh through that pandemic and people started to see how important it was you know we're now contracting with them to buy i would say three Forty five hundred to six thousand birds this year from them, which is all being moved by hand. All the stuff I just described. Now the incredible news is we probably pay them, uh, and I don't know John would know the exact amount, but let's just say it's three dollars and fifty cents a pound. That is also we pay the butcher too, so we've eliminated the butcher cost from them. They take the birds to the butcher. We call Pleasant Valley, our, our butcher, and, and tell them what we want. Hey, we want whole birds. Hey, we want uh, parted out like breasts, thighs, wings, uh, whatever it might be. We want sausage. We want poultry, you know, chicken sausage. We pay all that cost. So we now have factored in the price per pound, what we've got in, and then we go out to our consumers who care that we have put protocols in place to know every step along the way of what's happening to all that, you know, to the farmer, to the earth, to the bird, to the, uh, is it a, a um, federally inspected um, processing facility? 
um, how's it being packaged? And then from there, listen, Yellowbird customer, our chicken breasts are going to be $12 a pound where you can go get a bag the size of, you know, Alaska at the, at Costco of quote unquote organic chicken breasts for, I don't even know what I, you know, it's something astronomical. I, I don't shop conventional, so I don't even know, but it's like, here's 40 uh, chicken breasts, 20 pounds of chicken breasts for 20 bucks or something. You know, well, it's, it's a like, great business tactic, right? Get yeah. In the store and then you'll buy all the other processed sure. crap. And so now, you know, but that is not the true cost. And so what our customers are savvy to now is, oh, we know what the true cost is. And we know that we are just in that in order to feed a conventional food system and in a, a standard American diet with that type of product, we have uh, not borrowed in the sense that we're going to stolen, raped, maybe is a better word, uh, and created something that is going to um I mean, in worst case scenario, extinct an entire species. And I, and I don't mean chickens, I mean homo sapiens. So, you know, now that we know that, that all brings us back to that same question. If we know who grew, I don't care if it's kale or if it's a chicken or if it's an egg or if it's our milk or if it's our uh, flour that's going to go into our pizza crust, it all matters. And, and if you can, in whatever you care about along the way, if health is your, is your main concern of your own personal body, there are hundreds, if not thousands of studies of all of these things along the way that would indicate when we divorced that question from our psyche in terms of what we put in our mouth, we began to have a rise in preventable disease, a rise in uh, cancer, a rise in autism, a rise in all of these behavioral disorders, um, intolerances to food like celiac disease and um, not, not being able to digest dairy and some of this kind of, like this is all, uh, not all, much of it could be traced back to when we stopped asking that question as a group, as a species, and historically said, we're going to treat all of this as if it's a non-living, non I mean, not that it's not essential, but like we don't care how it's grown or done. And you get it to me for as cheap as you can get it to me for um, so that I can spend my money uh, on a vacation or on whatever it might be, something else other than, well, it turns out you're spending your money on healthcare. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that trade-off that we thought we were getting uh, a good deal on, well, now I don't spend 25% of my income on food. I spend, um, you know, 8% of my income on food that frees me up some cash to go, you know, do whatever it is I want to go do. Well, you know, you used to spend 8% of your income on healthcare. Well, now you spend 25% of your income on healthcare. So are you want to, do you want to get it now or do you want to get it later? And, you know, in terms of you're now taking multiple medicines to treat multiple conditions, um, you know, that are largely in terms of like heart disease, type two diabetes, fatty liver disease, um, some of that kind of stuff been proven to, you know, 75% of those are preventable through diet. Yep. And so, you know, it's like, well, uh, what is the actual cost here? And what uh, question do we need to be asking ourselves? There's a million of them, but you can boil it all down into if you start with that question, all the rest of them will get answered along the way because you're going to make a decision based upon what you now know 
because you know where it's coming from. Right. And isn't it, uh, doesn't Zach Bush also say, like, if we don't change this food and growing system, we have like 60 years left as a species? Mm. That's, that's all we got. Well, what he's in, what he's referencing is, is the Rodale study, um, you know, the organic, uh, Rodale Organics out of um, somewhere on the eastern seaboard in the northwestern, or the eastern, northeastern states, where they're saying at the rate that we're depleting our topsoil, We've got 59, they, last year they said 60, meaning now that we're in 2020, we've got 59 growing seasons. Um, that's assuming that we continue to just completely, and it's not just human error in terms of like, hey, we're raping all the ingredients out of the soil and not putting them back. That also is erosion. And, you know, you can't um, treat a planet the way that we've treated it uh, for hundreds of years and not expect that, uh, you know, what Zach Bush says that's so beautiful is, is that the earth is our lungs. Um, you know, there's no flu season. We say flu season's October to, to May or whatever. Well, really what he means is, or what people mean is, that's the season when there's no leaves on the trees. Because otherwise, you know, it's like, well, why, do, why does flu go down in the summer? Well, because all the green in the world is respirating and it's cleaning our air for us. When the trees lose their leaves as they're supposed to in the fall, we now don't have anything breathing for us. Well, imagine taking the, the, the lungs, um, which is our planet, and then one, destroying them by cutting a lot of it out, but two, creating pollution and poison and all the other things and basically saying, here's a straw, you know, Mother Earth, go breathe through this, and then not expect that there's going to be 55 other things that break down behind that and there's no maybe explanation for it because nobody's linking it back to that. But, you know, it's like, well, why is there a, a, a carbon problem in the atmosphere? Why is there whatever? And it's like, well, you know, carbon, there's not, there's not a, a carbon problem. There's a, there's a storage, there's a carbon storage problem. Carbon should be stored in our soils, but we don't have anything to pull it down into the soils anymore. And so because of that, it's in our atmosphere. And, uh, you know, the uh, uh, mission shouldn't be, um, can we figure out how to get rid of the carbon? It should be, how can we get the carbon that's in the atmosphere down back into our soil so that we have the basic building blocks of life there where they should be and where they used to be uh, at, at uh, inception, but are no longer there because of how we've destroyed it all. Yeah, and it all comes back to... How we farm, right? Yeah. Really? That's the yep. foundation of it all. The plow, many people would say the plow was the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a good lead in to kind of what I want to talk about next, which really the question, who grew your food, already answers it, but I just want to keep going yeah. a little deeper. And that's just the difference between like the organic, local, and conventional. Uh -huh. um, so I know a lot of people might be like diehard organic, yep. but often, like you said, you can have cage-free like chickens and they're on a sheet of paper yeah. space. Yep. Um, so could you talk about which one we should be leaning towards? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, like you said, you should be leaning toward knowing who it is that's growing it. One, because anyone who's doing it uh, in a way that is honoring all the systems at play wants to tell you about it. There's nothing to hide. Um, but two, um, you know, organic is, is, is fine. It's a great baseline for, um, 
hey, there are protocols in place that have to be checked in order to be considered certified organic. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, that's better than nothing. The problem with that is, and because it's a government-owned uh, and run program, you know, literally the USDA has the patent on the word organic. So I can't use the word organic uh, on, unless I'm under very, very strict protocols that they've approved. Uh, otherwise, they will come after you and say, don't put the word organic on your website. Um, it's ours. That always is going to come at, in my opinion, some sort of a price. Somebody owns that, well, then it can be co-opted with dollars. And so there are lobbying groups and people behind that that are like, hey, we've got a, a money interest in this. And um, obviously, we want to sell more organic stuff um, because the consumer's asking for it, but we also, um, want to get more money for it because it costs more money to grow organic. And so we're going to create some loopholes and we're going to create some places where you can kind of fudge it as a giant conventional organic farm and still be considered organic. So, um, you know, there's always going to be that game being played. Do we have growers that grow and are certified organic? Absolutely. Many are. Uh, and many would sit and have a, a wonderful argument to, to rebut what I just said about why you, you've got to have a system in place. Otherwise, it's just a free-for-all. Somebody could be telling you that they're growing this way and you're not there. You go once a year or twice a year, but they're really doing what they want to do. Okay. I, the counterpoint made. I like that. But we don't go once a year. We're there every week. We go to these farms directly every single week and are on the phone with them and working with them. And many have asked us, hey, do you mind if we use this, this, or this? We're having a, uh, you know, a looper problem or a uh, aphid problem or a whatever. And so, you know, it's like there are things that are available, tools that are, um, you know, you quote unquote chemicals that you would, you know, think, why well, that's a nasty word. Well, it's, it's a naturally occurring substance like, you know, that you can use that's safe. It's, it's not uh, dangerous to, to humans, um, but keeps a crop from being destroyed, you know, et cetera. The organic uh, group, let's call it, they've got a, a, they also control that. They've got chemicals that they use that are listed and it's OMRI, O-M-R-I is kind of the governing board for that. And so, you know, they've got, certainly interest there. I just am always skeptical about uh, uh, things that are run and owned by um, some sort of a group like the government or a power over group that is like, hey, we're in control of this and we're the one deciding versus uh, we're at these farms every week, writing them a check directly to their name or the name of their farm and creating a a, a food system that is um, safe for the whole family. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, listen, we are, they know we're giving them more money than even an organic group would give them. And they know that our customers are relying on us to bring them the highest quality. Many times, there are growers that aren't certified organic, but their standards and their practices are even more disciplined than an organic grower is. Uh, and so we've got to, and, and 
you know, from the beginning, I've always thought if we could create a sales channel where we had the customer base that cared so much that they were willing to pay even more than organic prices, and they don't, we, we, you know, we're comparable to organic, if not even cheaper in, in many cases. Um, but, you know, that that was the question being asked, hey, um, uh, uh, you know, Yellowbird or whoever would be in our position is this grower being treated fairly with their wages are they treating the earth right are they whatever because if they're doing all those things then i know that the product that i'm getting is going to taste the best look the best be the best for my all the systems at play in my being um etc and so that's where i tell people if I do the opposite. So rather than say if it's organic or if it's if it's organically grown or whatever, I say if it's not organically grown, I'm going to tell you, i.e., we get apples from Glen Hill Orchard uh, here in Mount Vernon. We know Glen Hill. They've been it's a family, three-generation family business that's been here growing apples. They don't have the money at that level to spray uh, an apple orchard the way that conventional apples would be sprayed. They're only going to use something if it, they're going to lose a crop because they depend on the crop, you know. And so I have to tell my customers then, listen, they're not actively spraying these apples. It's not like they're out, you know, coating these things for the sake of it. Um, but I also have to tell you that in order to save a crop, they would spray something that needed to be sprayed to get rid of a pest or a disease or whatever it might be. And so I can't tell you that those apples are organically grown from seed to, to mouth. Now, many of our customers don't care. You know, they're like, yeah, we trust you. We're glad that, you know, you're patronizing that farm. Uh, some are, like you mentioned, they're organic only. It's, you know, and so it's like, hey, you can either give those apples away or put a, a, a you know, hey, we, we don't want those or whatever, put a mark on, you know, on your account. And so we won't pack apples when we give apples. But I always try to let the consumer know this instance, this thing that just went out in your box, um, we know them, we go directly to them, we pay them directly, same as we do with everybody else, but they're just not certified organic or not you know, always, always, always sticking to organic practices. And so it's kind of an eat at your own risk. In that instance, I eat them because I know what they're doing and how they're doing it. And I'm not afraid of any of the stuff that they're using. And I'm as picky as it comes. So in the beginning, I used my own diet as the standard. Would I eat it? And if I would eat it, then I'll send it out. Um, you know, since then, obviously with as many people as we have now, there's a lot more, um, dietary issues and so we've got to be more careful about that but yes that that's how i would weigh out organic versus uh non-organic but organic practices versus just knowing what the grower is doing whether it's either one of those options or completely conventional we have conventional growers that call us all the time to sell us stuff of course the first question is are you growing organically or conventionally if they say we're we just grow conventionally then we just say you know, God bless you. There's a place in the world for you probably, but it's just not what we do. Um, and so, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of the full, the full spectrum. Gotcha. And so there's the people who like really care about this. And then on the other hand, people who like totally don't even buy into organic for that matter, not sure. even like local. Yeah. Um, and like, that's been a big problem for me, like on my health journey, trying to tell my friends like this, 
like this stuff really matters and trying to yep you know get them to kind of jump on this sure thing with me um but it's really hard so i'm just wondering in your opinion like how can we get people to care about this and get connected to well them? unfortunately you can't um you know and that's that that's the classic tale of uh, of woe of hey i've got this person that i love that is uh, addicted to this you know whatever it might be it could be something like you know the classic like it's an alcoholic you know that or whatever but many 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 of us are addicted to sugar and don't even pay attention to it um and it's maybe just as harmful if not more harmful um health-wise um, at least physically so you know it's a lot of times it comes down to that crisis moment or that aha moment that enlightenment that revelation for somebody that they're going to begin to make a different journey it, you know and that might be um it may not start with food uh, it may start with uh, exercise or uh, meditation or uh, somebody might have some sort of a religious experience, um, you know, and it's like they begin that journey there. Ultimately, if somebody's began that journey in some category of their life, it usually is going to lead to other categories. And, um, you know, in doing so, you know, they're going to, one, become um, uh, better at uh, one thing. And then realize there's, you know, it all plays together and that I'm in order to be the best, um, uh, uh physical shape that I, that I want to be in. It also requires me to eat better, um, providing resources, uh, providing uh, a non-threatening conversation. Um, uh, I certainly have been an evangelical of whole clean plant forward eating, uh, but have, have backed off of that. Um, by sitting on panels with, um, uh, well, I sat on a panel at Kenyon last year with a, with a gal from Soul Fire Farm, which is a, a black-owned um, nonprofit group that has a that has a farm that is. Um, they wrote a book called Farming While Black. One of their uh, uh, people did, um, and it is basically like, hey, um, one uh, ownership of the soil historically is tied back to white slave owners. And so it's not just as simple as we're going to go grow food on this land. We actually have uh, generational curses tied to the land that we have to heal from. But two, there's also a, uh, uh, you know, massive am uh, amount of uh, people, uh, minorities, people of color that are don't even have access to food. And so it's not just as simple as, well, um, these, these folks are making um, bad food choices and they need to make better food choices. It's no, they're in a cycle of um, hundred year old or, or longer uh, generational curses that don't even give them the opportunity um, or the dollar to spend and if they had the dollar, it's not even in a store that they could get to when you talk about food deserts and that kind of thing. So rather than just be like, hey, it's just as simple as everybody start eating better. I've seen this nuanced, all these layers that I wasn't even aware of as a younger white man. And now that I do see them, I am more careful about saying everyone has the same opportunity. Eat better. Make a better choice, dummy, you know, or whatever. Mm -hmm where it's like, okay, it's just not that simple. We're all uh, very intricate, very, um, uh, 
you know, there's just a lot of story behind each of our individual experiences. And so it's going to require, if there's a million of us or a billion of us or 7 billion of us, it's going to require a million or a billion or 7 billion different tactics, you know, different uh, ways of, of becoming the best that each of us can be. So um, rather than beat over the head with what I think is the best choice, we've, uh, you know, kind of layered it in a more nuanced way of, um, you know, like, hey, we're going to make this tool available um, and we're going to try to get it to as many people as we can get it to in as many ways, shapes, and forms as we can get it to. At that point, then, it really becomes a matter of uh, it's out of our hands and the story is in the hands of our current members who are going to then live that story out to all of their friends and family. And we're going to get more local food buyers and eaters based upon them seeing the change in one of our current members. And that's how it's always grown. And that was the mission from the beginning is to, to decentralize the food system one customer at a time. And that's how it happens. It, it's not like I stand in front of a crowd of 20,000 people and at the end of it, 8,000 come and want what we've got. Um, it's not a product like that. It's a lifestyle choice. And ultimately, that's what you're saying. You're giving us your grocery money, but you're saying we want to change the way that we know and our relationship to food. And when we do it, um, this is the way that we're going to do it. And it's going to come through a, a box of food from the Yellowbird. And, and many people then feather that in to other things, to other, uh, you know, there we're, we're big, not me, but, you know, people, I'm pretending like I'm a customer of mine, we're big farmer's market shoppers. We have people that cancel um, with us for the farmer's market season because they spend all, they want to spend their money at the farmer's market. Wonderful. Do that. Uh, we have many people that um, uh, cancel with us during the peak seasons because they grow their own garden. I wish everybody grew their own garden. Put me out of business growing your own food because now we're going to be starting to talk about some serious food resilience, some serious um, community uh, resilience. And the more that we can do that, the more that all of the goals of what we're doing, if we became obsolete because the world was so healthy and the planet and, and the earth and the soil was so healthy that they didn't mission need us to do it, that, yeah, mission accomplished. Let's go, let's go start. Let's go solve the next problem. Yep. yep. That's awesome. Yeah. So as we, we're going to wrap up shortly. Sure. Um, so is there anywhere that you want to point the listeners to right now or like where can we find out? more about sure yourself. i mean we you know uh, ultimately um have many many delivery mechanisms uh you know throughout the state of ohio so columbus mount vernon marion mansfield finley lima delphus like all those places are places that we currently go to we're either dropping off at a home for home deliveries or at some sort of a parking lot or place that you can get that. It all starts at the website. Every single person that signs up with us signs up through yellowbirdfs.com. They create an account. They put in their preferences. They put in their credit card number. It's just like Netflix, which was in the beginning what we needed to do. We needed to create a system that was just as easy as all of the ways that, that we get our money taken out for electricity, our social media, whatever it is. Um, we're, at, we're at all the Yellowbird food shed you know, we've got a Pinterest, we've got an Instagram, we've got a Facebook. Um, 
we've got a YouTube channel that we don't post anything to and would be our next, um, hopefully, goal of, of, of getting content out there. But ultimately, you know, again, we don't want it to be so much about us uh, as it is about the, the individual members and their choices they've made, the stories that they've told. Many are chefs. Many are... Uh, are um, uh, off of medicine because they changed their diet. Many are uh, in the medical field. Many are, um, uh, I mean, they're just, it's, it's the whole gamut. And so that's the story we want to tell. We do Instagram takeovers all the time so that we can get into people's um, lives that are not us, that are doing stuff with, you know, w with what we do. Um, we want to have more um, events, more chef type events, more demonstrations. Um, I was just thinking yesterday about doing a Zoom cooking class. Um, basically to hold the consumer's hand through the process of here's a giant box of produce. We're not ready for that. Uh, some of us are, many of us are not. And we've had to learn that and say, okay, how do we hold the hand of the consumer through, hey, uh, uh, you know, consumer XYZ, this is what a beet looks like out of the dirt. It's got a giant green or, or red top on it. Uh, those can be used for stuff. It's got a giant bulb that's covered in dirt. Um, that has to be, something has to be done with that. Then, you know, on and on and on. Um, it's not super uh, difficult, but if you don't know, you don't know. And so, you know, um, can we give everybody not only the tool of the food, but we've got to give them the tool of the, the, the power to tran uh, transform that food into something that, that, um, that they like. If you don't like it, you'll be turned off by it, and then you won't come back to it. Now we've lost somebody, maybe just because we didn't include a recipe or we didn't have a way for them to connect to the community of people who also have said, I'm sick of kale. Guess what? We're all sick of kale. That's the, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that, that doesn't mean we don't do what we're doing or find another way to eat kale or put the kale in the compost. I don't mind what you, I don't care what you do if you can't catch up to how much you've gotten, but we're all in that boat together. So let's laugh about it. Try again, try harder. Um, uh, and that's the, one of the most encouraging things is I've got a, a friend who's been with us from the beginning. She's a member down in Columbus and her name's Wendy. And, and she's always, to this day, years later, telling me, I'm still trying to eat all my greens. I'm still trying to find better ways to, you know, I, don't, I still don't like a lot of it, but I, you know, kind of forcing it down sort of a thing. And, you know, she, we laugh about the way she's saying it because she probably, I mean, she's a wonderful cook. And, and I've seen her dishes and, and her and her husband travel the world and eat the best food in the world. But, you know, can we do something outside of just, hey, here's the product. Buy it or don't buy it. We don't care. We don't want to, no, no. Listen, we want you to have this thing that we think is the rock star of the food world, uh, but we also have to create all of the other pieces for you to be able to join in with others that are on the journey together. It's just like if you're in a running group or in a cycling group or in a yoga group or whatever it might be, you go to church to be with other people. Um, you know, anyone can connect to God anywhere they are. Well, why do we go to a, a place then where there's multiple people? Because for a hundred thousand years, we've congregated together around the fire, so to speak, to be together in, an, in a gathered experience. And so, 
you know, that's what we're trying to create. And we're trying to use the virtual world to do it. We know that we would love to be together more. Um, before, you know, pre-pandemic, we gathered as much as we could at events. Um, certainly not enough because it requires a ton of time and energy to put those together. But, you know, what's our excuse now? Everybody's gathering virtually. And so that's where I'm looking at for the next phase for us is how do we build, um, you know, and the podcast is kind of an adventure into that. But how do we build a, a platform that people can gather at and not feel isolated, alone, confused, um, or turned off because I just quite frankly can't make something taste good when it's not that difficult, but you need somebody to show you mm -hmm. first. And so, you know, everything that I do is geared towards that. The Friday five email, the whatever it's like, Hey, where can we find another place outside of food even to become, uh, acquaintances, to become brothers and sisters. And then when we're doing those things and talking about those things together, to me, it ultimately always leads back to food because it's not an elective. We're eating every day, multiple times, whether we want to or not. It's, it's what we do, um, you know, to keep going. And so that's always going to happen. And so rather than talking about like, hey, let's just only talk about eating and food. Well, what if we talked about what we would talk about around a dinner table? What if we talked about our favorite movies or whatever else it might be? It gives us other touch points where, okay, now we're building community that is uh, transcending food and at the same time always circles back to the food because, right. you know, in my opinion, what else is there to even talk about? But yeah. I think that was genius. I remember like four years ago when I started all this, my plates, literally just a full carrot, not even like chopped up. Yeah. And some like organic beans. And then yeah. that's because I didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's so important to yep. give people yep. that boost. You're exactly right. And people, should be, and people shouldn't beat themselves up over the fact that they don't know what to do with a carrot. Mm -hmm. That all they know how to do is just eat a full carrot or whatever. Well, how would you know? Right. You wouldn't. It's, 20, 30, 40 years of yes. not touching vegetables. Yes. And so that's where we, you know, to try to give people forgiveness and the permission to be ignorant mm -hmm. and to say, okay, uh, try this, um, you know, try cutting the carrot. Like it sounds mm -hmm. dumb that we're saying that, that it's that simple, but you know, like, well, okay, now try using a cheese grater with it and to get a different texture, same carrot. Same flavor, essentially, whatever, but you can also then do this and it creates a slightly different texture, which you might like better. It creates a slightly different thing that you might be able to use into a slaw or into mixing that with a cabbage or whatever it might be. And then people start to get uh, a footing and some confidence and then watch out because from there now, not only do you have confidence there, again, it's always gonna translate to the other areas. And so if I've got confidence in what I'm eating, that gives me confidence to go say, hey, I didn't know a hill of beans about food. I also don't know um, how to exercise. I also don't know how to, um, uh, to get good sleep and honor myself by, by um, getting eight hours of sleep instead of four or starting to wind down and, and stop looking at screens two hours before I go to bed because uh, my body needs that to get to the point where I'm going to get good sleep, etc. All of that is trickle down. Um, where you're feeling better in one place is going to translate to where you want to feel better in all the places. Because once you feel better in one place, you recognize where you don't feel great in all the other places. And you're like, well, I could probably fix that mm -hmm. because I fixed the food part. 
And so, you know, well, what if I, you know, what if I, what if I could walk a half a mile or a mile at a time and get the, um, the benefits that that brings? Better sleep, uh, endorphins, you know, out the wazoo, uh, uh, higher metabolism, whatever, all these different things. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, I made a good decision here. And it turns out I also, you know, it worked in, in my favor over on this thing too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just baby steps, right? Yeah. Baby steps. Yep. And, and ultimately realizing there is no end goal. Mm-hmm. You can make goals along the way. You don't ever attain it. And if you do attain it, stop for a week and see how fast you lose it. Because that's how, that's how fragile it is. And so there's no top of the mountain. It's like, it's always going to be a climb. Now, sometimes in the climb, there's downhills and it's a little bit easier in this case, but you better be ready that, you know, there's always going to be another turn and you're always going to be heading back uphill. And that's what you've got to begin to embrace is, okay, there is always going to be resistance to change one, but there's always going to be resistance to, um, uh, what might be the healthiest decision for me because our culture is geared towards convenience and cheap and easy and, uh, and me not thinking for myself. And so just by definition, anything that I do that's countercultural is going to be more difficult. And so you got to be ready for that. And uh, again, get l- l- the little wins. I'll, I'll get, if I need to get inertia going on my day and get a little win, I'll know that the next thing I'm going to do is a podcast with Jacob. Before you get here, I'll write down on a piece of paper on my to-do list, you know, a little tick mark, podcast with Jacob. Knowing that, I'm going to do it whether I write that down or not. But because I'm going to do it, I'm going to go get a little win and I'm going to do the thing that I knew I was going to do anyways. And then I'm going to check it off. And now I've got a snowball rolling down the hill. What's the next thing I need to do? What's the next thing? Okay, I'm going to write 10 things out. Now, I might not get to them all today, but I know they all need done. And I'm just going to keep that inertia ball going. And as I do, you know, then it's like, okay, well, what's the next thing? Well, I'm going to eat. Well, what am I going to eat? Well, I could eat fast, uh, but let's honor myself here and let's not eat fast. Let's get in the fridge and get something out and get, you know, uh, uh, making something that in the ultimate long run is checking 10 boxes, which is, I did myself right, I did the grower right, I did the soil right, I did the animal right maybe, I did whatever it was, rather than the sake of, well, I got it done in 20 minutes and for six bucks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are all the, 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 you know, the little pieces of advice that I would give to any listener who's like, uh, man, I feel like I'm the only one who's encountering this problem mm-hmm. or whatever that might be. Yeah, it's like the best thing you can do for yourself. Just make your bed, get that first yeah. win in the morning. Right, right. absolutely. Right, just get it going. Yeah, which I'm sure I didn't do this morning. <laughs> that's how you know. That's how hypocritical I become. But you know, you also got to be able to forgive yourself and say, exactly. "Yeah, I'm I'm going to miss it uh, many times each day." But what I can't do is um, think that because I didn't get it perfect, that I can't try again tomorrow. And that's a big, you know, depending on your personality, that can be a big hindrance. And it's like, you know, no, I mean, just like this podcast thing. I mean, I started n- not with these microphones, but with something that hooked up to my phone. And then with nothing that hooked up to my phone, just talking into my phone. Literally while I was driving, I've got hours of stuff no one's ever heard just because I'm like, I've got to get a, I've got to get a voice. I've got to be used to talking to nothing. I've got to be used to um, creating from an idea. 
And um, so rather than, rather than think that I've got to get everything perfect and then I'm going to sit down and be a good interviewer or a good conversationalist, mm-hmm. I've got to do all this other stuff. And if I ever get to the point where I'm doing a good conversation, then great. I might have put out like six podcasts. I don't know. Total, I don't even know how many people have listened to it. Maybe a hundred total. But that's not what it's about. I'm not trying to grow an audience to 10,000. I'm trying to answer the call that is inside of me to create this thing. And then from whatever happens from there, let it happen. I've got to do the thing that I know that I'm supposed to be doing. And then from there, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may. But I can't let it be um, paralysis by analysis. Is that my favorite um, phrase for that? Where I think that I can figure it all out and then all of a sudden I'm going to be really good and have this thing. Right. Yellowbird started with, a, well, let's see if we can get food to one person. Well, we did. Can we get it to two? We did that too. Can we get it to five? Can we get it to 30, mm-hmm. 100, 600? You know, and now, you know, this week we're taking out almost, last week we took out 1,500 boxes. You know, it's like, okay, well, can we take it out to, to 3,000? If you told me I had to do it tomorrow, I would say, well, we're not going to be able to do that. I don't have enough food in-house to be able to pull it off. If you told me I needed to do it in a month, I could probably do it. And so I'm going to use what the, the momentum I've built to get to where I am now to get me to the next place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's like the biggest hindrance for everybody trying anything. They think they can't start until they have all the answers yes. and they have the perfect plan laid out, yes. but you're never going to have that. Yes. You just got to do something. And if you think something. you do, you're going to be sorely disappointed when it doesn't work out. Yeah. You make a plan yeah. and the plan goes out the door. Yeah. That's just how it works. I've trained my 10 year old son. No, I'm sorry. He's 12. Um, I have one who's turning nine tomorrow and then my 12 year old and he'll say this, um, I've got zero expectations going into whatever it is that he's going into that way. Anything that happens is one, what's supposed to happen. So I won't be disappointed, but two, always going to leave me surprised and, uh, uh, not happy. That may not be the best word, but like just, you know, um, content and, Uh, I'm able to just experience whatever it is that I'm experiencing without having some set of standards that I'm measuring it against where it's falling short. Mm -hmm. I did that for, I I didn't have that uh, tool in my tool belt until I was in my Mm twenties where I'm like, oh yeah, everything's falling short because I've overhyped everything. Mm -hmm. And you know, what if I just went and experienced whatever there was to experience and then was grateful for it Mm -hmm. and didn't try to hang on to it, you know? That's one of the biggest things I'm at now where I'm like, that experience that was so wonderful, maybe it was just a day, a vibe yesterday. Well, I'm not gonna try to recreate yesterday. I'm just gonna go into today and today might suck, but I gotta be open to that and be ready and willing to embrace whatever that might be uh, so that I'm not trying to get today to match up to some other day because it's not that. And then always falling short of like this mark that I set because I had this great experience back there that I wanna duplicate. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's a fantastic piece of advice. It just takes the stress right off your shoulders. Yeah. Be so strict with everything. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you just dropped a lot of valuable information, but my last question that I ask all my guests, Mm -hmm. if there's one thing that you could leave the listeners with, like one action step or like a question to think about or habit or whatever Mm -hmm. in regards to anything, um, what would that be? I would say this. I would say... Turn everything off. Uh, get to a place. Doesn't have to be far. You don't have to go to like another state. Go out in your backyard for Pete's sake. Start there. And sit with nothing on. Um, 
for five minutes. You won't know it's five minutes because you're not timing it. But to a point where you think it's been an hour and it hasn't been, it's been five minutes. And then sit for 10 sometime and then sit for 30 and then sit for an hour and do nothing. Um, and don't try to do anything. Don't try to figure something out. If, you th if you're thinking about something and you daydream, great. If you fall asleep, great. If you get inspired to do something, great. It doesn't even matter. But to get unattached to what we think is our actual life, which is attachment to everything, devices, calendar, time, relationships, um, to-do lists, um, even just the idea that somebody uh, can't get a hold of me and they might be trying to. It could be an emergency. What if my kid's trying to get a hold of me and they can't? Listen, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. Get to a place where you can sit for an hour with nothing to do. And you're going to think that you need to do something. I, I, I should just have a book. That, that's, you know, whatever. I, whatever. You know, like there's always, you're always going to talk yourself into something else. But just continue to sit and listen to whatever it is that there is to listen to. That might mean that you hear nature. It might mean you hear wind. It might mean you hear the traffic. It doesn't even matter. And just become still for five minutes at first, 10 minutes, an hour. You won't be able to live there. We're not monks at a hermitage. But the practice of doing that will open up a ongoing relationship to everything in a way that I don't find any other way that you can do it. Um, you know, some people would say, well, I run and I get that. Well, do you have a device on you when you run? Are you trying to run to a certain goal, a certain speed, a certain calorie burn, a certain whatever? Then, then you're not doing what I'm describing. What I'm describing is the antithesis of that. I'm describing on purpose. Some would describe it as Sabbath. Uh, I try to practice an entire day of that. Now, not sitting in my yard, but basically pretending like all the work's done, even though it isn't. Mm -hmm. And letting my system recognize not time linearly, but space circularly. And if you can begin to do that and live in that rhythm where you're even carving off five minutes to do it, you'll begin to notice things and it's always different and for everybody it'll be different. So I'm not even gonna give you an example, but, but you'll, all of a sudden if you do that, you'll then say, oh, uh, I, I noticed this thing, not when I was doing that, but when I was doing something else. But I think it was that five minutes that I gave myself that enabled myself to be able to notice this thing in this moment. And that is the biggest and hardest task that any of us have. And it is to be able to do what I'm describing. You could say sit still, you could say detach, you could say um, uh, become quiet or, or silent or whatever it might be. Um, it is a monster of a challenge. And unfortunately, it's the scariest place that most of us will go mm -hmm. because all of a sudden now there's nobody there but us. Mm -hmm. And you've got to figure out as a human how to live with yourself 24 hours a day. I tell people all the time, I, I know I'm annoying. Do you know how I know I'm annoying? Because I annoy myself. And if I'm with myself 24 hours a day, can you imagine what that must be like? And so I know what it's like at some degree for you to have to put up with me. And so 
we've got to become so comfortable with ourselves that we're not running from ourselves any longer. And I see no other way to do that than to start with five minutes of, it's just me mm-hmm. here. Super scary, but very powerful. Yeah, I 1 million percent agree. That was kind of, when I went to New Hampshire, it was supposed to be like a spiritual quest. I went out there with a tent and a journal. Yeah. And myself. Yeah. And it was just meditate and sit and do nothing all yeah. day. Yeah, and how long and it does it take the hardest, to shake? Yeah, exactly. Tell me about it. It was the worst thing that mm-hmm. I've ever done to myself. Uh, I literally, like, so I fasted the first day. Uh-huh. And I just felt like it was the longest day of my whole life. Yeah. And it was the worst anxiety I've ever felt, uh-huh. ever. Just I was thinking about, because I didn't have technology, nothing. Yeah. And I was just thinking, what if something's happening? I need to like check my phone. What if someone's trying to reach out to me? And I just, it was, there was so much resistance yep. from detaching from everything. And yeah, it, it was it's powerful. It was rough. But yes, it was yeah. so powerful. Um, so yeah, yeah, I definitely think everyone should do that. And just start with five minutes. You yeah, to go sure. to, Like you said, don't go to another state. And yeah. Just, um, just baby steps. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's fantastic. And I think that's gonna, well, I'll include, so all the links to all of your stuff in yeah, the description. Sure. Um, but that's going to wrap up today's show. So thank you so much for coming on. Ben. Yes, absolutely. Loved it. Yeah. Glad it to absolute... do it. Always. Uh, I, one of my favorite podcasters is Dak Shepard. And, um, he always talks about, um, Anytime he's ever asked a white male on his podcast, he's never been turned down because we're the classic species that would love to sit and talk about ourselves. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so today was an absolute blessing. Uh, this has been your host, Jacob Keneally. Thanks, y'all. Hello, wellness warriors. Wow, you've made it to the end of the episode, and that is extremely rare in today's society of digital distraction. I know we're all super busy creating our optimal lives, so I'm so grateful that you've spent this time here listening to me and the guests today. If you'd like to connect with me, please reach out on my website, jacobkeneally.com. And if you found something of value, I'd highly, highly appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more than you know. Until next time, stay well, stay healthy, and thrive.